acknowledging that you're not worthy, but that you always have to try to be worthy. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dolsky. And I'm Rudy Sallow. And this is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know we didn't know in the spirit of Socrates, all in the effort to live a better life, a healthier life, a more knowledgeable life. Rudy, <laughs> every time you're ruminating on my intro. You know what? Yeah, I'll just, I, I am, I'm ruminating because there's that awkward pause. And then uh, at the same time, I would like to add a little something tonight. Mm. How about a worthy life, Gwen? What a does that worthy mean? A life? Worthy oh, life that's mean? perfect. Nicely done, Rudy. That fits in perfect. Why? Why is that perfect? It's perfect because our guest, third time guest, philosophy professor who's written about Batman, who's written about Captain America, and now we're interviewing him about Thor. He applies philosophy to these characters to, let's say, unpack the morality. But this time with Thor, what is really interesting is that it's not necessarily a moral question, but it is a psychological question about what constitutes worthiness and self-growth and self-understanding. So yeah, so this episode, you are right, Rudy. This one is about worthiness, a worthy life. <laughs> Something I struggle with uh, frequently of, of whether or not I am worthy. And actually, I have a couple of, uh, I would say, realizations during this episode. So basically, I've realized that like, even though I'm not an alien, and we discuss again my fear of aliens, I am a lot like Thor. And that's actually explained during this episode. You know, since we recorded, so we recorded this a couple of weeks ago. I have been thinking about this episode nonstop. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I have to interrupt you. You totally ignored the fact that I said I'm like Thor. You're like you Thor. Kind of <laughs> Almost as if that you just, was that, I, I didn't, man, I was like Chris Helmsworth. I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't have exactly. that body. I just meant, do you just totally ignore that? You know, that? sometimes okay. it's not that I ignored that was, that it. Not, it's just that that sometimes that when you mean. say something obvious, is there really a reason to add to it? Right. Oh, you're good. You, you, should, you should be a lawyer. That was very good. Well, Mark is – we love having Mark on the show. He does – one of the things that I like about him, and we say this in the episode, one of our jobs in education and academia is not only to go through philosophy and philosophical texts, but when it comes to teaching, that we use the tools of philosophy in order to examine things and make life more enjoyable. And he does that so beautifully. And that's one of the reasons why his books are such a success. We recommend them to everyone. His episode on the morality of Batman is one of our top 10 episodes. We're 100 episodes in. And yeah, he does that. And he also has a great choice. Twitter. We're going to link all of his information in the show notes. Every time we have him on, we learn something new. We, ha we have a window into understanding these things like Marvel Comics in a brand new light, a philosophical light, a psychological light. It's true. You know, there are some people out there that, that complain that the MCU has taken over film and has everything's about comic books and everything's about that. I say... If you listen to these episodes and you read Mark's books, there's a reason why comic books have taken over the film world because there's a lot to learn from it. Mark's one of my favorite guests. You know, look, we've had a lot of great guests. We've had a lot of repeat guests, but when Mark comes on, I get very excited. I, I nerd out and I'm a former comic book like collector. I still have them. I'm excited and I hope people, I hope people really enjoy this episode and realize that I am like Thor. That's, that, <laughs> I can't wait for That's people the to. takeaway. I want hashtag Rudy is Thor. I would, I would love to see that trend. Can anybody maybe do that? I will. Listeners, please make that happen, happen for Rudy. 
Okay. And in preparation for your last couple of weeks, have you been doing what I have been doing and doing the Magic Mind 14-day challenge? I have been. I have been. And and it's made me like, you know, there's like my normal Thor self. (laughs) And then Magic Mind made me super, super Thor. Like I was like, I was had two hammers. Yes, I have been. It's been terrific. Yeah, it's a great shot. So I finished my 14 days. I am totally logging on to get more. For any of our listeners who want this, this is a great shot to take. You can take it with your coffee. You can take it instead of your coffee. But it is an elixir, I'm going to call it, that helps you focus, de-stress. It's perfect for before you start to sit down with your work. Magic Mind and the discount code is details14. And we're going to link it in the show notes so that you can get 20% off of your order. Rudy, are you going to add anything? Rudy. Hashtag Rudy is the <laughs> Okay. And let's talk worthiness with Mark D. White. Mark, welcome back. Third time on the pod. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. This time we're talking about Thor. And I confess I'm definitely going to be learning something that I didn't know I didn't know for this because I had to read up on who Thor was. (laughs) So something that I really love about your books is that, and by the way, your morality of Batman, that's still one of our top episodes. Everyone just loves it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. What I like about what you're doing is that, I mean, and you must get this too, being in philosophy that somebody will be like, oh, philosophy, there's like no right answer, or what are you going to do with that? And what's really lovely that you have shown us with your books on superheroes, and now we'll talk about Thor, is that philosophy helps us enjoy our lives more and be more thoughtful about the things that we enjoy. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that sounds good. You know, I've, I've spoken before about, you know, getting my start doing this with the Blackwell Philosophy and Pop Culture series launched by William Irwin. And that's really his main idea was to introduce philosophy in a more customer friendly way to show people that even the, the shows and comics and movies that they love all, you know, evoke some philosophical topics. Yeah. Just like just like we all do in class. Just like, you know, we'll say, oh, did anyone see that movie? Remember when that character said that? Doesn't that remind you of what Aristotle said about wisdom? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, teachers in every topic have been doing that throughout time. So it's just doing that in book form. But most importantly, philosophy helps us frustrate Rudy. I knew, oh, yeah. I knew, I, I, I knew, I knew it was coming. I knew you two were going to start picking on me, and, that, and and that's fine. Okay, I what the way we started off this conversation was I was giving accolades to Mark once again on a terrific book. It is a I don't want to call it a departure, Mark. You'll talk more about why this book is different than your Virtues of Captain America book and the morality of Batman. But you in the introduction you read the introduction of this book alone and it sets it apart from the others. So I'm just gonna ask the question, besides being a comic book genius, why did you write this book and why did you take this tactic with this book and address psychology versus how you normally do ethics and otherwise? Why is this one different? The book is really motivated by uh, a couple things. One was when the fourth Thor movie was announced and it was made clear at the the New York Comic Con announcement. I was actually at Comic Con that year, but I wasn't in the hall where they made the big announcement. But when the director brought Natalie Portman out and she held up the hammer and it was clear that they were going to make Jane Foster Thor in the fourth Thor movie. And that 
storyline was just wrapping up in the comics and i i just loved it i loved that they gave the hammer to the woman who originally began began as thor's human love interest and in perpetual damsel in distress that they elevated her to the i mean they'd been elevating her for years making her a doctor and helping the hero community making her finally thor the actual character thor was quite a development and the fact that they were going to reflect that in the movie so soon after it happened in the comics was wonderful and i i immediately contacted my publisher at occam press occam publishing and said you know i'd love to do a book to capitalize on this and he thought it was a great idea too but Discussing that storyline, I knew wasn't going to be my typical, you know, what ethical school does this character represent, such as I'd done with Batman and Captain America. So I had to think about what is really the heart of this story, and the heart of the story more with the Odinson, or what we call the the original Thor, uh, once he loses his hammer and loses his identity, is the struggle with worth and worthiness. And that's always been one of the hearts of the Thor mythology, is this inscription on the hammer that said, he, she, they who can wield the hammer will, will have the power of Thor. Who's worthy to lift the hammer will have the power of Thor. So the whole thing really centers around worth. And the, the writer of all these Thor stories focused on the Odinson losing his worthiness and Jane picking up the hammer. Uh, Jason Aaron, brilliant, brilliant writer, uh, worked with a lot of artists, but he wrote the entire run. And he was very clear in, in all of his interviews and his newsletters and his commentaries at the end of the issues and the letters columns and such that he was really exploring what it meant to be worthy, what it meant for a god to be worthy, what it meant to lose your feeling of worthiness and get it back. And So I was really just tracing through what Jason Aaron and all his artists laid out in the comics and you know sprinkling little bits of philosophical insight when I could. But that was really a departure for me because before, like I said, I'd just gone through characters and said, oh, this one's a deontologist, this one's a utilitarian, this one's a virtue ethicist. And there's not really that much of that to do with Thor because, ethically speaking, he's not that rich a character. But, you know, it's much more in the psychology, which I could I could approach through a little bit of existentialism and try to see what it's like for you to lose the anchor of your identity and the anchor of your feelings of self-worth and have to get them back and realize that worthiness is not exactly what you thought it was or what you were told it was. What were your conclusions about this notion of worthiness? And I'm thinking about it because we we just, in one of my classes, talked about the apology when Socrates describes what a man of worth is. And then a man of worth is somebody who thinks about what is right and wrong and what is just before action, as opposed to a man of little worth thinks about, and I'm not being gender friendly intentionally because he wasn't, but I always have to remind my students that, but he, <laughs> but a person of little worth is somebody who thinks about their body, life or death before they act. And I noticed that you, you know, you do go back to virtue ethics when it comes to this notion of worthiness and a bit of existentialism. But what were your conclusions? Like, what does it mean to have worth, to be worthy? Well, I, I don't make a sort of universalist statement because it's very personal to Thor, the idea of worthiness that he arrives at. Originally, and it was very hard actually going through the original comics to find exactly what worthiness meant. The original writers didn't spend a lot of time on it. In fact, until Jason Aaron, no one had spent much time on it at all. We just get some vague concepts of bravery and valor. It was actually the, the original telling of the story of how he first picked up the hammer as a young man that they settled on, I think it was three criteria for worthiness. Just, you know, selflessness, 
which is kind of what you just mentioned in terms of Socrates. Sacrifice, willing, which is basically heroism. And the most interesting part to me was that you had to do so without thinking about it at all. So it had to be automatic. It had to be intrinsic to you to do this. In other words, you didn't really consider it. You didn't weigh the costs and the benefits. You didn't think about the implications for yourself. You just did the right thing automatically doing without thinking, which I naturally tie into one of my favorite Taoist concepts, Wei Wu Wei, acting without acting. And that really continues through the book, because there's that, that concept is echoed through later versions of what it means for Thor to be worthy. But the, the answer he comes to at the end is really that worthiness comes through really two things. One, acknowledging that you're not worthy, but that you always have to try to be worthy. You know, again, another Eastern concept of it's the path, not the destination. It's the process. But he really realizes that it's not, you know, being worthy to him and, of course, to the hammer, because the hammer ultimately judges whether he's worthy or not, which is another problem. But the idea is he can never be too satisfied with whether he's worthy or not. In other words, being becoming worthy, he used to think of it as an accomplishment. And once he accomplished that, and once he was able to lift the hammer, that was it. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't have to keep trying. And what he found out in the end was that he does have to keep trying. And the fact that he keeps trying to be worthy is actually what makes him worthy, not what he actually does or however many acts of heroism he undergoes. But actually just, you know, I think the, the terms they use are the, the struggle is what makes you worthy, the never being sure of yourself. And we see that in a lot of other heroes too, because like, you know, I, I still write a lot about Captain America and Captain America is never satisfied with what he does. He always thinks he could do better, always thinks he could save more people or save them more quickly or with less, you know, damaged to other people or things and he's always hard on himself and that's not particularly virtuous because he he goes too hard on himself but the idea that he always thinks he could do better and here's a person who most people would judge as exemplary and you know he shouldn't have to feel he has to do better but he still wants to do you think that superhero films in general rely on virtue theory i i think they do because i think that's easier to represent on screen Mm -hmm. just you know focusing on core heroic character traits such as courage and selflessness it's more unusual for films to get into issues of you know consequentialism versus deontology you find that in like the civil war movie with iron man and captain america debating over the sokovia accords and whether they should do the right thing or or try to just maintain the peace but, you know, usually I, I think it's just easier to show, you know, a, a hero, you know, s- sacrificing themselves or risking their lives to save others. So if we were going to, and like I said, I'm not as familiar with Thor, but if we were to say, I mean, what does the hammer represent? What is every person's hammer? Does every person have a hammer? That's that's <laughs> a that great cheesy? question. Um, oh, thank well, you. Well, Thor's problem with the hammer you know, originally the hammer was just his father's way of testing him. And the, the hammer was meant to represent his father, Odin, his the all-father. It was meant to represent his father's judgment. So, you know, in Thor having to struggle to be worthy to lift the hammer, he was really, you know, struggling to prove himself worthy to his father. And then in Jason Aaron's run, though, he made the hammer sentient in itself. So now you had to please the hammer, and Odin couldn't even lift it. So it was clear that the hammer took its own role in terms of determining the worthiness of who was going to wield it. But the problem was still the same, in that Thor was really living up to somebody else's idea of worthiness rather than his own. And that's that's where I bring in 
two concepts I think are mirror images of each other, the Kantian sense of autonomy, determining your own will, and then the existentialist idea of authenticity, creating the person you want to be or you, you think you should be, rather than letting external influences or other people determine who you are. And that's basically what Thor does when he cedes all the responsibility for his actions and his identity and his worthiness to this hammer, or through the hammer to his father. So if I would say, does everyone have their hammer? I think anyone that that looks to an external source for validation, whether that's a parent or some other authority figure or a peer group or, you know, Rudy. I, I look to Rudy to see what I should do and what kind of person I should be. I think everyone does. Same. <laughs> everyone should. There's, it's actually interesting. I, I actually uh, kind of identify a lot with Thor, not because of the way he looks uh, and not not necessarily because of his of his arrogance. It, it's actually because of his hair. His hair. And then there are the um, his impatience. I guess I should have realized in watching the movies. I, I was. I'll, I'll admit I wasn't a huge Thor comic guy growing up. I was way more of a Batman, Captain America person. But I didn't know that impatience was one of his quote unquote vices. And as I was reading that in the book, I thought about myself, about how I was very impatient recently in a scenario. But then you go also go on in the book about, you're talking about everything needs to kind of be in the middle of moderation. Like, you can't be too little. You can't be too courageous because uh, then you're kind of arrogant and, arrogant and you're putting yourself on the line. Foolhardy. Foolhardy. Yeah. And, and so yeah. what I'm trying to figure out is, Mark, how does Thor strike the balance of his vices versus what it is for him to be worthy in order to carry the hammer like what is it that he does personally does he talk to himself does he does he see a psychologist what does he do i don't think he really worries about it okay i you know i would if i ever try to describe thor's ethical code i use virtue ethics but i would never say that he's great at it i mean captain america is kind of the uh paragon of of virtue in that sense but when thor makes ethical decisions he really just goes he lets his core character traits guide him you know if there's a dangerous situation he runs into it if there's someone that needs saving he'll do anything he has to save that person he's not really making kind of algorithmic calculations corner utilitarianism or weighing out duties by deontology he's just you know, he has a sense of what the right thing to do is, what the heroic thing to do is, what the courageous thing to do is, and he does it. And he's not striking that Aristotelian golden mean necessarily. He's not, he hasn't mastered that, and I don't think he really worries about that. He's not a character that's too concerned with his ethical behavior. He's pretty satisfied with that, you know, to the extent that it sometimes borders on arrogance. Uh, Again, that kind of comes back to why this book was so different, because I wasn't mainly analyzing his ethical behavior and where it comes from you know i took care of that in like half a page because there really isn't that much i mean he's a hero he's generally a good person and all but he's not like captain america or batman or iron man and that he's you know following a very specific moral code it's an important question though as you you outline in your introduction how all of us will deal with this question of self-worth and that that's one of the values of the story is What if we want to improve? I guess where I was trying to go with that was there was a line in the first chapter. You're talking about the fact that Thor doesn't have to think about risking his life to save Sif or Freyja shows that in doing so, a reflection of who he has. This this is the line. This is actually that I want. This is the line that I want to underline, Mark. A reflection of who he has become. See, I read become as, well, wait a minute, he wasn't quote-unquote born that way. He had to work on himself to become that way. And so I guess what I'm trying to do is 
I'm trying to to work on my own self, and I guess I'm trying to take some lessons from Thor. Like, how can somebody become more ethical or virtuous? Like, if they wanted to work on themselves. Well, I think I think we 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 all have to do that. I mean, we all to be good people, we have to do that, and that kind of gets to the the end result of the book. To be good, it's you know you don't become good and then that's just it, and you're good forever. You have to keep trying to be good and trying to be better. And I mentioned Captain America has always done this. You know, even though many people would consider him the, the perfect man or the perfect person, he, he's never satisfied with himself. He's always trying to do better. He's always trying to be better, always questioning himself. And, you know, Kant said that about moral character, that if you're not constantly striving to improve it, it, it diminishes. Being good or being moral is an ongoing struggle, which is what Thor learns at the end, is to be worthy is to be constantly trying to be worthy and testing your worth. Like when now he no longer assumes he can pick up the hammer whenever he wants to. He's always a little worried whenever he goes to pick it up that he might not be able to pick it up this time. And so he's always making sure he's trying to be the best person he is. But when you, when you point to that line and you say he, he you know, became worthy or be, he became good, that's because the, the early part of his life is really this... I, I don't know if I would really say it's moral development because the whole idea is being guided to be able to pick up this hammer. I mean, he was trained from when he was a little boy that his, his entire goal in life was to be able to pick up this hammer. And so he wasn't really worried about abstract notions of ethics. He was really saying, well, what do I have to do to pick up this hammer? I've, I've performed all these deeds. I've saved all these people. What more do I have to do? And there's, there's several great panels in the comics history where he just, you know, he gets done fighting a battle or, or saving people or defeating a monster or a frost giant. And he goes to try to pick up the hammer and he can't do it. And he says, how much more do I have to do? When am I finally going to be worthy? So, you know, it's not until he finally gets to the point where he's, where he's got the, the three original pillars of worthiness, you know, the selflessness, the sacrifice, and the unthinking action, where he finally hit the, the key to lifting the hammer. Then through the, most of his comics history, he was just assumed to be worthy forever. It was a sense that it was an accomplishment. He crossed the finish line. He was worthy. That was fine. He's going to be worthy forever. And it wasn't until this recent run in the comics that he finally had that taken away from him and he had to learn what it was to reclaim it and get that new understanding of what worthiness is. Got it. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Now I can see why the when the announcement of uh, Jane Foster becoming Thor, why that prompted you to analyze and then led to this book. That makes a lot of sense because, because there was this assumption, right. oh, well, Thor already crossed the finish line. He's already worthy. He is Thor. But much like human beings, we are always tested. We are always, we always need to work on ourselves to strive for betterhood. I, I completely get So I am like Thor is what you're saying because I'm, I'm constantly working. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what <laughs> we've been, been saying the whole time. Because I've been working it out point. in my head. Really? That's what you guys are talking about, correct? That's all. I yeah, I just about. didn't want to mention you in the book because I'd embarrass you. <laughs> just wanted to make sure we were talking about the same thing. That's, Sorry, Gwen. Yes. Well, that's why there's. Oh no, I was going to say there's a famous line by John Stuart Mill where he says it is always better to be Socrates dissatisfied mm. than a fool satisfied. And the fact that John Stuart Mill pointed to Socrates is when you think about it. Well, Socrates was perpetually dissatisfied because that's the nature of humility and curiosity. Right. So I'm guessing, because at any moment, if you're like, you know what, I know enough, 
I know enough. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Then you've actually stopped that phase of humility and you right. pretend to have the same knowledge as divine knowledge, which is in and of itself problematic. So I'm guessing that this notion of worthiness is that's why it's on a continuum. There is no finish line. Right. And oh the God. moment you think you have, right. then it's a problem. And it's the process. It's undergoing the process constantly that actually makes you worthy. The fact that you keep trying, the fact that you never assume you're worthy and you keep trying to be worthy is actually what makes you worthy. Wait a minute. So 20 tw- years of therapy, <laughs> years of everything, you guys literally just solved everything with, with like a couple of lines. The fact that I am never satisfied and I'm always dissatisfied actually makes me a worthy person because I'm always striving yes. to be better. You guys just solved all my problems. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Suck it, Leon. 50. <laughs> Leon. <laughs> shout out to season of the podcast. That was our <laughs> shout out. What are you charging out? I don't think this that's the shout out that we were supposed to give. <laughs> that was good, Mark. That was very good. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm going to hang up now. No, uh, I'm going to my around. bill. I have a question. <laughs> I have a question for Mark that I'm wondering, Rudy, what you're going to think about this because this is going to, I think this is going to throw off your good Catholic school background. But there is a thing, there's a part in your book where you're saying that the superheroes just in general are like, you know, godlike figures like our modern day mythology. And there is something from David Hume in his atheistic approach which talked about problems with the existence of god and he said one of the things is that human beings and and all beings are made with just this economy of abilities like why couldn't we have more things like why can't i climb walls you know like or thank god my cat doesn't have opposable thumbs or language but every single being has this economy of power and so david hume is saying is not evidence that you know if there was an all good god why would they do that so i have always thought that our superheroes are actually demonstrative demonstrative of this idea that we are rejecting the idea of God and they're kind of human. In your book, you're saying that our creation of them is a type of God-like thing. Like, I think you took it in a different direction. So I'm just wondering, you know, if you could expand on that, that these are our modern day mythologies or that they're God-like. I thought it was a rejection of the existence of God in a way. Like you could do better, you know, like an all-powerful being would have done better. And we can imagine something I don't think I was, I was asking that question exactly i mean there is a lot in the book because when when thor becomes unworthy or when he's told he's unworthy it's because this this foe he's fighting in the first storyline of jason aaron's run gore the god butcher who was played by christian bale in the movie he whispers in thor's ear that all gods are unworthy and that makes well no gore says it and then nick fury whispers it in his ear later uh, uh, but anyway, when he hears this, he drops the hammer and he can't pick it up again. So it wasn't so much about, you know, you, Thor, are unworthy, but all gods are unworthy. But it, it, in the end, it, it comes out to about the same thing. But that made that forced me to take a little detour in the book and discuss, you know, in exactly what sense is Thor and the rest of the Asgardians and the, the um, Olympians, etc. In what sense are they gods? And actually, this was discussed a lot more in the earlier comics before Aaron than the concept of worthiness was, because there are a lot of very interesting stories where Thor would perform some miraculous feat, and, a, and usually a Catholic priest would see it. 
And when they had a chance to talk, the priest would say, I'm shook. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've witnessed a miracle. And, you know, my God is supposed to do this. And if you can do this, are you a God? What about my God? And I, I think this is a natural question to bring up in comics where you have someone that claims to be a God. So usually in these storylines, Thor will make very clear that, no, no, I'm not a god like your god i'm just a very powerful being practically immortal can do these things that seem miraculous to you but you know i don't want worship i just want to help people you know and in the marvel universe there's actually a very strict hierarchy of all these cosmic beings i, I describe in the book but it's, it's laid out in several issues of the comics where it's you know all the different scales of cosmic beings then at the top is the creator and that's meant to be either, you know, the, the god of Christianity or Islam or Judaism. In terms of, you know, there's all these powerful cosmic beings in the Marvel Universe, some of whom call themselves gods. And I distinguish in the book between small g-gods and big g-gods. And Thor is always very careful. I mean, there's one storyline where he says, maybe I am a god, I'm going to take over, and he becomes a fascist, and the whole world falls apart, and he has to reverse time to get out of it. But usually he's very clear that, you know, I'm just, you know, people used to worship me, I'm not into that anymore, I just try to help people. You know, in trying to delineate what makes this small g sense of God different from the truly theistic version of a God, I realize that, you know, when you take out the worship and you take out the uh, omnipotence and the omniscience, what do you have left? You have a superhero. So the, these small g gods of the Marvel Universe really are just superheroes. That Arthur C. Clarke line about, you know, a technology so advanced that it's indistinguishable from magic. There's several writers in the comics that have tried to make explicit that Asgardians are just aliens, just superpowered aliens like Kryptonians. But, you know, that, that, I think they want to keep some of the mystery I think, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of Marvel comics in general, they want to keep some of the mystery, still be able to call them gods, but again, small G-gods versus big G-gods. So, I mean, I love your question, Gwen, but I think I really looked at it from the other direction because there is something I talk about a lot where people say that superhero stories, given their popularity in the movies and the comics and TV shows, are our modern mythology. You know, not necessarily our religion, but in terms of, you know, our core stories, we think of, you know, Spider-Man getting bitten by the spider, Bruce Wayne's parents being killed, both adopting lives of heroism and, and saving people, and so many superheroes living with being orphans or having gone through great tragedy in their life and rising above it and helping other people, and, and that being a moral story in itself. Modern superheroes are our myths or our small g-gods, and I was trying to come to it from the other direction and say the beings that are called gods in the Marvel Universe, when you realize all they're missing compared to big G theistic gods, are really just superheroes. I like the Gwen's question as well, although I will... She, she called me out, Mark, oh, because of the, give the Catholic upbringing. I, I, I am... Yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. I, I, I'm going to say I'm more like Father Koza from New York, the priest that you mentioned in the book, that he says uh, he's shaken the actions and, and, and his presence undermined the people's faith in the higher divinity. And Mark, I'm going to hark back to another Good is in the Details episode that we talked about with um, Tracy Drain from NASA. 
I don't believe in aliens. The reason why I believe in don't believe in aliens is because I believe in God. Because I believe in God. Because if there are aliens out there, then we are not special people. I'm more like the priest that's referenced in your book than I am like Gwen and, and Thor and these and these you know um, these evil people uh, that are out there that do not believe in such things. And so I'm glad that you address the godhood in the book because I don't think we as humanity could actually survive as a society if we knew there were aliens out there. That's my I know this is not a podcast on aliens, but I have to defend myself <laughs> because you you do address this a little bit in your book. You, you would you like to speak to that at all, Mark? Or you I, just want to ignore I address my aliens in the book? I mean other than as guardians? You, you, no, no, you don't address the aliens. What you do address though is the priests struggling with the presence yeah. of Thor. His mere presence shakes their faith in their own god. Which is exactly what I'm saying. If there were actually aliens, that would shake my faith in in actual mm. God, and that's why okay. I, I personally choose not to believe in aliens. I know that doesn't make sense. Well, but does that I make mean, sense? I I think the 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 point of the the story in the comics though is not the priest saying, you know, Thor, you're an alien, so you shake my faith. He's saying, Thor, you perform all the acts I would associate with a god. You're all powerful. You save people. You fly. You 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 know say you're a god. He's well on record saying he's a god. And so I think I think it's the fact that there is a competing god to a priest who, by his nature, is monotheistic that shakes his faith. I don't think I I didn't read it that way at least that he's saying because you're an alien because certainly there's there's enough evidence of aliens in the Marvel universe that Thor wouldn't be the first. Wait, is there a religious True. pushback to these True. stories? I had never even thought about that. Do you know of any like like when Harry Potter was out and mm. then there was this look at it that it was evil or demonic and some people are not allowed to read it? Is there any kind of a pushback from a religious community about these types of stories? Besides <laughs> from Rudy Sallow. Besides from Rudy Sallow. Pathbreaker. Is, is what, is what yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, besides. <laughs> not that I know of. I mean, there's there's people that do, like Matthew Brake, that do theology, you know, in relation to superheroes. And, and you know, he... But he would, nothing like the Harry Potter reaction. Not that I've heard of. Because, I mean, as far as I remember, that was just claims, you know, witchcraft and satanic influences and everything. And the, the issues oh with... That's why I don't read it. I don't. I don't read Harry Potter. It's true. It's, my wife hates it's me for so it. It's so good. It's, uh, because of the witchcraft. Demon, demons, demons shit scares the hell out okay. of me. I don't even, I don't, I don't even go to that stuff. I just don't even go there. What do you Harry want me to Potter's do? What? You brought Harry Potter. I have to There's all it. these moral stories in it. And so I'm thinking if Harry oh, Potter's Jesus off Christ. the table, then how is it that, that Thor is unscathed? It's not. He's not unscathed. He's an alien. Thor's not an alien. Is Thor an alien? What are you talking about? Ah, uh, that's oh, yeah, that's what right. I that's what I was talking yes. about. Is you know a few writers in the Marvel universe want to just and in the movies the approach is he's an alien in the movies. Yeah, for sure in the movies. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let yeah. me let me clarify. In the movies, he's definitely an alien. A damn good looking alien with a ridiculously amazing okay, you know physique. But he's an alien. <laughs> okay, so virtue. Right. Right, sorry, I'll be quiet. We're professionals. All right. So virtue ethics tends to, and I think wrongly, I'm not agreeing with it, but it has tended to um, presuppose a masculine idea. And so I'm just wondering for you, Mark, how do you think that that the comic handled having Jane in there? Like, how do you think that they handled having a woman with virtuous traits? Uh, I think they did wonderfully. Uh, they've, you know, uh, I mentioned earlier that Jane was just introduced as the love interest, the nurse fawning over Dr. B Donald Blake, Thor's, 
uh, human form in the early 60s. And then they kind of wrote her out of the storyline for a while, and they had Thor together with Sif, the, his fellow Asgardian. And then they, they uh, actually married Jane Foster off to Dr. Keith Kincaid, who was actually the model Odin used when he created Donald Blake to be Thor's human form. Because... Uh, you know when when Thor was originally sent to Earth, he was sent to Earth because he was youthful and arrogant, impetuous, impetuous, and Odin wanted to teach him humility. So he sent him to Earth in the form of a doctor who had uh, an impaired leg, and he would be a surgeon and he would learn how to help people and not be the mighty prince of of Asgard anymore. But when Odin didn't just stick Thor's essence in some existing human being, he created Donald Blake to be this doctor, and he created created Donald Blake based on this other man, Keith Kincaid. So they actually married Jane Foster off to Keith Kincaid, who was basically the original Don Blake. No one cares about that, but I just thought, find that really interesting. Then later on, Keith Kincaid would become the Avengers resident doctor. And no one ever mentioned this, or, or in the comics, no one ever mentions this or catches on to it, that, hey, you look like that Donald Blake guy. Then uh, eventually, Jane, you know, in the, in the 90s, she goes through a lot of development behind the scenes, because she's still a, a fairly minor character in the Thor comics in the late 90s and 2000s. But she, we find out that she became a doctor. She's no longer a nurse. She's now a doctor. And she helps out the hero community when they need it, because obviously she still has ties to Thor and his friends. So they'd really been developing her and showing her virtues for years. So when she was given the hammer, it wasn't a big surprise. You know, it wasn't a shock that they didn't take some, you know, minor character that was mentioned two issues 30 years ago and gave her the hammer. They gave a character that had been cultivated over the last decade or two to become a significant virtuous character in herself, and they gave her the hammer. Now, the question I tried to answer in the book, and I I don't think I was able to because it wasn't clear in the source material, is why specifically does the hammer find her worthy? And, you know, because it wasn't the, it wasn't necessarily the same qualities that Thor had to show originally. Because, I mean, remember, Thor had been trying to earn the hammer for years before he finally did. So he was training to do this. Jane obviously wasn't. She just, the hammer called to her and she picked it up and she became Thor. And she didn't have to earn it through, you know, deeds of valor or selflessness or sacrifice. Other than what she did as a doctor, of course, which are acts of heroism in themselves. And the fact that she was also battling cancer. That was a part, I remember the, the lead up to the movie, they were very coy about whether she was going to have the cancer or not. But in the comics, it was revealed shortly before she picked up the hammer that she was suffering from cancer. And she told Thor this, and it was a, a, a very poignant scene of her telling him this. And of course, he goes in, you know, oh, we have to do this, we have to get the best doctors, we have to take you to Asgard, we have to work our magic mojo on you our alien stuff on you. And she says, no, I'm a human being. This is a human disease. I want to suffer it and have it treated like a human being. I know what comes from using miraculous treatments. They never come without a cost, etc., etc. So when she becomes Thor, there's this underlying question of why or what in particular makes her worthy. Because some other people have asked online is, you know, we get that, you know, you need this tremendous, you know, heroism and selflessness to be worthy. And very few are besides Thor. Captain America's lifted the hammer. But, you know, there's certainly lots of heroes in the Marvel Universe. How come none of the rest of them are worthy? You know, nothing against Jane, but why is Jane part of this very elite group? You know, it's basically Thor, Captain America, a couple other people, and Jane. And the closest it comes 
And this is where I actually mentioned this just gender-based idea of, of virtue and morality is in the, the closest the hammer comes, because once the hammer exposes that it's sentient and it talks to Jane, it just praises her heart, you know, a heart in terms of character, not. And so I have to kind of go into that a little bit. And I say that's, you know, that can be read as a little soft. Are they kind of seeding this, you know, Thor has to be courageous and, and endure sacrifice and be brave and strong. And Jane just has to have heart. And that seems a little, you know, lopsided. Even if you accept that the hammer can choose different qualities in each person to make them worthy, the fact that it chooses such disparate qualities in Thor, him, and her to emphasize, and I kind of bring up, I I don't go into it a lot, but I bring up Carol Gilligan and the idea that she developed that, and I'm, I'm not by no means an expert in this, but the idea that morality may work differently according to gender. And whether this is biological, whether this is social, combination of the two, just the idea that if you accept that women are more compassionate, women are more empathetic than men, that kind of thing, you know, where she considers, you know, she kind of takes this, accepts these differences, and then explores whether they're, like I said, biological or social. The same thing we could say with gender in general. Mark, for what it's worth, if I uh, if I ever saw Thor's hammer and I picked it up, it would only be because of my heart, not because of my strength, <laughs> courage, or brains. I don't know if that makes makes things any uh, any any difference because I really do have a good heart. It's just the brains and the everything else doesn't work together. Georgetown with that. Law, right there. <laughs> <laughs> just for what it's worth, yeah, right there. Just what. Uh, just one for Jane. That's you know, if I can if I can pick up Thor's hammer it, because of my heart, oh my god, I'd Rudy, be, I think I'd be if great. you were a superhero, it would be like like while you're the superhero, you've got your hair, and then when you're doing your everyday life, you've got a hat on, and like people. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I was the Superman and Clark. Oh, Kent you know, you're the hat. <laughs> I look completely different with glasses on versus glasses off. I actually call myself Clark Kent sometimes, and people just laugh right in my face. So, yes. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'll go back to being well, quiet and um, dumb. I... I'm wondering, wait, how many film versions of Thor have there been? Because I know that there's recent ones. I mean, I'm wondering if we can wrap it up with the same way we wrapped up with the Batman one. It was like, Mark, what's your favorite person who has played Thor or who has done it well? But oh, I don't know if there's as many no, versions it's just, Batman. It's just, it's, no, it's just, I mean, there was a, a Thor in, I think it was a TV movie of The Incredible Hulk back with Bill Bixby. I think there was a Thor in one episode or maybe a made-for-TV movie. I can't remember who played him. It may have been Rudy. Uh, I don't know. Mark, wait, Mark, come on! I know. Say it. I don't skip it. It was a great well, movie. Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth well, you, didn't, oh. you, you didn't let me there, get to yeah, there. Yeah, you didn't yeah, let me right, get good, there. Yeah, I, <laughs> I got scared. I got scared there for a second. Yeah, Mark. that that, that wasn't a Marvel production, but yes, there was a <laughs> Thor in Adventures in Babysitting. But I mean, in the in the modern Marvel universe, it's just been Chris Hemsworth. And now Natalie Portman. And how do you think Chris Hemsworth did? I think he's he's great. The fact that he's been able to, you know, handle the different moods, I think, that the, the writers and the directors give Thor. I mean, the, the four movies have been so different in tone. And Hemsworth has to play a variety of tones within each movie, too. 
the first one was kind of middle of the road and he had to play he had to do the humor and the tragedy and then the second film the dark world was much darker as the title implies the humor was harder to bring out and then the the third movie brought a lot of uh, ragnarok brought a lot of the humor back and then the fourth movie i think was just over the top with the humor and so i mean he he's done great i think Perhaps he had a little easier job than Chris Evans did because, I mean, even people who weren't experts in Captain America had an idea what Captain America should sound like and should act like. And Thor, I think there was less of a a template in the, you know, kind of average moviegoer's mind. I mean, certainly comics fans had a way they wanted him to sound. You know, I'm not, I I was going to say Iron Man, but I'm not sure what the public consciousness of Tony Stark was before Robert Downey Jr. started playing him. But I know a lot of people think that the comics portrayal, the writers of the Iron Man comics adopted a lot of Robert Downey Jr.'s mannerisms after the movies hit it Mm -hmm. off so big. I don't see that myself. I just think he nailed the character so well. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be promoting your book, and I'm so grateful that you come on for a third time. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you both. And um, keep doing it because we need you on. Mark, the you got a you got a great <laughs> sense of humor for, put, show, for putting up with us. Really. I'm always happy to come on the show. Okay. All right, we're gonna have to do more Captain America stuff. Captain America stuff. Like Captain sure. America. Captain America. Thank you. Always happy to be here. Take care, Mark. Goodies in the Details is produced by Dr. Gwendolyn Dalski and Rudy Sallow. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you're enjoying the show, please scroll down to the bottom and hit that five-star review. Or leave a rating. Or do the hashtag RudyStorm. What was it again? I'll have to remember. Check out our show notes to get all of Mark D. White's books. Check out his blog. And also check out the show notes for your discount. 20% for Magic Mind. It won't disappoint. Details 14. You'll love it. Well, let me know what you think. And if you want to get in touch, goodisinthedetailspod at gmail.com or you can check us out on Instagram, goodisinthedetailspod. Take a screenshot of your favorite show and tag us. If you'd like to support the pod and get extra content, I know you want the extra content. I know you want book club. Go to patreon.com slash goodisinthedetails. Okay, until next time. Bye.